Good morning. I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth today, to be honest, because I started working on a sermon um, a while ago based on a men's group that I had put together, but there's too much content. This topic is too dense. Um, and I've only scratched the surface of beginning to understand what there is to understand. So um, I'm going to read the, the beginning of what I started to write in my sermon. And then I'm going to freeform it at some point, And someone may have to shut me up. <laughs> because um, everything's important. And there's just not enough time to cover what's important. Um, on Thursday, December 16th of this past year, I was readying myself for bed. This entails a variety of things like setting my clothes out for the next day, making sure coffee is ready to be brewed in the morning, browsing through my personal emails because I don't have an opportunity to browse them until right before bedtime usually. Um, while browsing, browsing through my emails to look for personal emails or important professional emails, a headline caught my eye. And as I read the article, a light sheet of sadness descended upon me. Bell Hooks, one of my favorite authors, had died from kidney failure the day before. A year or two earlier, my wife had mentioned that there is no equivalent book to White Fragility for men uh, who have overly sensitive reactions to feminist ideas, and we do, men, incidentally, we do have overly sensitive reactions to feminist ideas when they're put out there in the same way that white people have overly sensitive reactions to racist ideas when they're put out there. I liked bell hooks. I, I, my wife pointed that out, and I thought, like, wow, that's an interesting point. And I asked her if she had any recommendations for books I should read or something like that. And she, she said, you maybe check out Bell Hooks, and she sent me a few links. And the next thing I know, I had this, like, extensive book list. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about some of those books. And what ended up happening was I thought, I need a men's group where we can listen to these books on Audible and then talk about our experiences growing up and our beliefs and sort of get a sense about patriarchy and misogyny and sexism and where we were um, maybe even, not, not maybe even, where we were perpetuating these problems, where we weren't even aware that we were perpetuating these problems where we could start to uncover what we didn't know we didn't know about our own attitudes and problematic behaviors. Our group was composed of five men bringing various interests and backgrounds. Uh, we had two geeky IT types, one geeky project coordinator, a geeky environmental engineer, and a geeky detective for the police department. The things we mostly had in common were a tendency towards geekiness, obviously, <laughs> along with personal interests in identifying how misogyny had surreptitiously infiltrated our attitudes, communications, and actions. Our con 
conversations covered a variety of topics like where we clearly recognize misogyny in life, where we were surprised to discover misogyny after becoming familiar with the contents of Bell Hooks material, where we participated in misogyny, where our spouses told us we participated in misogyny, but we thought they were wrong. That last topic was the best while also being the most challenging. And so a lot of what I'm going to invite people to consider today, especially the men, is that this topic and any topic which is difficult necessarily is not a binary topic. There are binary aspects of the topic, but it is not a binary topic. It is nuanced. It is complicated. It's complex. And that's where we can start to dismantle it. But the fact is, one binary truth about it is that sexism, patriarchy, will not be challenged or dismantled without men's participation. Racism will not be dismantled without white people's participation. Sexism will not be dismantled without men's participation. It requires the people who hold the societal power and who enforce that societal power to actually learn about the oppression and actively involve themselves in dismantling the oppression. Without that, like if, it's just a fact, if brown people had the power to dismantle racism, it wouldn't exist. Like, I, I wouldn't live with that crap if I had the power to dismantle it, right? If women had the power to dismantle sexism and patriarchy, it wouldn't exist, period. So it's being held in place by another group of people. And if it's not being held in place, and it is partly being held in place by women, but I'm not going to talk about that today. But if it's, if it's not being held in place by them, it's being held in place by men. And that's, that is a binary fact. That's a true or false. But most of the topics explored within sexism, patriarchy, misogyny, however you want to look at that, are not binary. They are nuanced. They are complex. There is truth. There are things to look at. There are aspects that are going to resonate with you or me or someone individually which are statistically true and may not be true in this particular case or that particular case. And the challenge is to not latch on to those individual cases where that's not me or that's not happening in, in this and then to write, you know, not to pay attention and to write the whole thing off, Right? So I'm going to touch on some of my reading, and I'm not going to go into details. I'm going to give you a, like some titles and some authors that I think are really worthwhile. Um, my favorite author is Bell Hooks, and the book I started with was Feminism is for Everybody, which is a newer book. She wrote that a few years before her death, and she... She picked that title on purpose. Feminism is for everybody. It's not for it's it's for everybody and it's for everybody. And Bell Hooks was just amazing. She was an amazing thinker, an amazing author. She saw relationships between sexism and racism in a way that kind of is rare. 
Um, she was fantastic. I highly recommend Bell Hooks. I read, I also read, we should all, I, should, I also read Ain't I a Woman by Bell Hooks. That was, I believe, her first book. Um, I have, and this is an open invitation, I have a book called The Courage to Change, and it's for men. It's, a, it's one of her last books. It's for men. So I'm interested in having another men's group where we meet on a weekly basis and we work through these chapters and then we talk about our experiences and hopefully it can start to make a difference in the areas in our lives with our sisters, our spouses, our, our um, parents where they have complaints that we're having a hard time seeing. Um, I read We Should All Be Feminists by Chimamanda Ngozi. Uh, I cannot pronounce her last name, I'm sorry. We should, we should all be feminists. Um, and I need my glasses now. This is new for me. <laughs> Colonize this, young women of color on today's feminism. It was uh, curated by Daisy Hernandez and Bushra Komen. Vigilante gender violence, social class, the gender bargain by Rebecca Alvarez, who is a professor at, I want to say Western New Mexico University, but I could be mistaken. She's, she's local to New Mexico, and she's fantastic. She's amazing. She sent me this book that she wrote, and I, I have, I'm working on my second time through it now. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, no Visible Bruises, which is not marketed as uh, a book about feminism. It's, it's, it's a book about domestic violence, but it ties to misogyny, and it's all about, like, misogyny in ways. Like, how many people here knew that most of it, how many people here believe that domestic violence, or you have a sense that domestic violence is about a crime of passion, that someone loses their temper and then violence occurs. Raise your hand if you think that that is or maybe the truth or often the truth. You know, it, it's not. It's not. Most domestic violence is tied to misogyny. It's a sense of ownership. Because if it were simply a crime of passion, the same person who is being looked at for having attacked their spouse or their children, they would, also lose, they would also lose their temper at work and attack a coworker. They would also lose their temper on the bus. And I'm not saying that this never happens. It does happen. But it's not the majority of domestic violence. The majority of perpetrators of domestic violence do not have legal problems in other arenas necessarily. So it's a calculated move, and it happens with usually a female spouse or partner that they feel they have the right to control. It is an assertion of control, dominance, and ownership. It's male supremacy. It is not. The way we often treat domestic violence is like it is a crime of passion, and it is not a crime of passion. And the way we try to treat people who are engaged in domestic violence is by sending them to anger control classes. Anger control has its benefits. I'm not going to discount that. But it's not going to touch at the root cause, which is a sense of ownership and a sense of entitlement to control what a woman in your life is doing. 
So I want to start with a few definitions because it turns out even when I was writing this blurb, I didn't have some of these definitions down. And I, it occurred to me, usually I start with definitions when I'm working on any kind of sermon. And I didn't do it in this case. And I actually looked them up this morning. So I'm going to start with patriarchy. I, I asked um, Alexa this morning <laughs> for a definition of patriarchy. And then I had to look it up and write it down because I didn't. And I'm not going to give you the whole thing. But basically, patriarchy is a social system of control. It's a social or political system where men have more control and more power. But patriarchy is a social or familial organizational system. It's political in nature. Sexism are attitudes and behaviors which are consistent with patriarchy. Attitudes and behaviors based on traditional gender roles, traditional gender roles. Misogyny is, an emotion, is emotional by nature. It is hatred, distrust, dislike, or mistrust of women. So misogyny is very personal. Sexism is intellectual belief. Patriarchy is social and political in nature. And it's, I found that very enlightening to think about because I had been using terms in the wrong arena. And I've been doing that for a while, it turns out. And each one has a different role to play. Misogyny has a role to play in the personal um, domestic violence that maybe occurs within a household. That's misogyny. Patriarchy is the system that views domestic violence as a different kind of crime than battery. And I want that to sink in for a second. Patriarchy is the political social system that we all share, which views domestic violence, in most cases a man beating his spouse or children or somehow abusing them, as a different kind of crime than assault and battery. And in most cases, as a lesser crime. And in most cases, as a crime that's not even worthy of being investigated. That's patriarchy. Sexism plays into that because of the attitude that has that be a lesser crime or a crime unworthy of being investigated. And misogyny plays into that mostly in terms of the person doing the abusing, the perpetrator of the abuse. So they're linked, but there is a distinction to be had there. Socially, we collectively, whether you individually believe in this or not, collectively we support and allow domestic violence to continue, and we allow it to be a lesser crime, an uninvestigated crime, and we tolerate that. In many cases, we even encourage it. We victim blame. That happens at a sexism level. We victim blame. Well, she should just leave. 
Well, how do you leave if you don't know how you're going to support yourself? Because part of what happens in an abusive relationship is that there's someone who is threatened by mere survival, right? How do you leave if you don't know how you're going to feed your... How do you leave if you don't know how you're going to feed the kids? How do you leave if you think that if you leave the kids, like you first you have to leave your kids and then they're going to be abused by the person, the perpetrator who's been abusing you? How do you leave under those circumstances? It's, it seems so simple and binary. Just leave. Yeah, I wouldn't tolerate that. That's what everyone's... People love to say that about slavery, right? I wouldn't have tolerated that. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> like, we don't know. Actually, we do know. Because people say that about all sorts of things. Like, people say, like, about, for example, about Nazi Germany. Like, well, I wouldn't have participated in that. Well, maybe you wouldn't have in particular, but most people would have because most people did. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's just not the case that everyone who claims that they would have been, you know, a justice warrior in this situation or in that situation would have been. Because if that many people would have actually been standing up for what's right, the horrible thing wouldn't have happened in the first place. And we're not like all like now all of a sudden you know, different and better than the vast majority of people who existed 30 years ago. Like, people largely aren't that transformed from one generation to the next. So it's important to think about these things in rea reality. We've got five minutes left, and I haven't even scratched the surface. I would like for a second, especially if you're a man, turn to a woman near you, but if, if there's not, you know, if you're not, a, turn to someone next to you and just share, what do you think masculinity is? Just take a, a second, let's take a second right now, turn to the person next to you, Any, anyway, what is masculinity? Like Tina and Anne, you know, what is masculinity to you? What do you think it is? Or among three people or whatever. About 10 more seconds. Okay. Does everyone, has everyone gotten a chance to share a little bit about what you think masculinity is? Because I actually looked that up this morning because I, I would realize I don't know what masculinity is either, right? <laughs> masculinity, according to Merriam-Webster, is Qualities or attributes regarded on regarded as characteristic of men, and the examples it gave were um, muscular, tall, strong, things like that. Okay. 
Now I want to take another, let's, I'm going I'm to time it this time, 20 seconds, and share what do you think toxic masculinity is. Go. I'm sorry, I'm giving you short shrift on this one because I only had five minutes two minutes ago. <laughs> so I'm going to share from the Journal of School of Psychology. Toxic masculinity is the constellation of socially regressive or masculine, and they did put that in quotes, traits that serve to foster domination devaluation of women, homophobia, and wanton violence. So if we look at the Merriam-Webster definition of masculinity and the definition of toxic masculinity, what do they have in common? I, I can't find much. <laughs> right, they have the, the word masculine in common. So one of the things that happens in our society, and this happens especially when we're ha trying to have a conversation around oppression, is, I can't think of the term now, basically a straw man argument. So we talk about toxic masculinity, and people say, they're attacking masculinity. Well, they're not attacking masculinity or men. They're attacking toxic masculinity, which means they're attacking the idea that men are superior and should be allowed to control women. If we took, look at conversations about racism, the same red herring occurs across the board. So I just wanted to take a second and, and start to identify that when we're talking about an oppression, and in this case, misogyny, patriarchy, sexism, there is the requirement to have a useful conversation. It is required that we engage with the nuance and that we actually make an attempt to understand what's being said. So I had this men's group, and we had all these conversations, and people laughed when I said this, like where we talked about the areas where our spouses told us we were reinforcing the patriarchy and we didn't think we were. And I'm not going to get into the details. I don't really have permission from people to talk about that. I, I can talk very briefly about my experience since then, though. My experience since then is that I finally had and, and this is another thing that causes people to feel like, mm, a safe space to explore what was being said that felt hurtful to me and my reaction to that without having to have the person who was like dealing with all of the, the stuff around that 
have to like stop and explain to me feminism 101. Like I got to go sort that out with men, right? And they're like, oh yeah, I feel that way. And then we'd read a chapter like, huh, I guess I was an idiot. <laughs> but I wasn't an idiot. I just said, we we're socialized a certain way, right? People are socialized a certain way. You know, there is this talk about um, how many, you don't even have to raise your hands. You can even just mentally check a box if you want. How many people have had the experience of having your spouse or partner or someone come to you and say, the load that I'm carrying is too much. And then you're kind of sitting there like, well, the load that I'm carrying is too much too, right? And it kind of turns into this, like, not really able to listen, right? Because I feel like what I carry is being invalidated and things like that. And um, my experience with that has been that there's this, there's, there's some distinct things happening, right? There's this, ticker, it could be called, right, in some cases. It's this checklist of things that are required for the kids to have an emotionally decent childhood or to successfully navigate school or the things that have to happen in the household for the household to function effectively, right? There's all these things, all these logistics that get handled, like this is St. Patrick's Day and who's going to put green coloring into the milk or who's going to make green eggs and ham or things like that, right? And there's all these logistics that go on and I got to be honest, I didn't pay much attention to them. In, in truth, I was focused on certain things that were really important. I was focused on, you know, because I was primarily responsible for bringing like enough income to support everything. So I was focused on that. But I use that in some ways as an excuse for not focusing on the things that were important for us to have a quality family experience. And I was resentful about being expected to participate in that because I felt like I was doing too much. Now, on some level, there is a, like a, a breakdown of, of labor, right? Like on some level, that has to happen. You can't do everything. But I wasn't being responsible for the fact that I was literally undermining the efforts of the person who had accepted this other responsibility. I was actively undermining that. So it's like, I thought that I was doing something great if I pushed a vacuum around the living room, you know? Like, if I, I wasn't even aware of it at the time, and I know I gotta shut up, I'm sorry. I wasn't even aware of it at the time, but there's this thing called the five languages of love. And one of them, one of the languages of love is service, right? And I would have thought that, I kind of characterize that as service, right? Like pushing the vacuum around the living room is service. Like that's being an adult. <laughs> that is not a service to Tara. My pushing the stupid vacuum around the living room is not a service to Tara. That's just being an adult, Right? Service is something that has Tara feel loved. Like, my thing is the dishes, right? If there are dirty dishes in the sink, I'm angry about it. 
And like, I'm like, oh, put the stupid dishes in the thing. I, you know, we'll just leave them there for Mike, you know? That's like, I, <laughs> it's all that, right? And I'm not even exaggerating, <laughs> okay? So if someone puts the dishes in the dishwasher, I don't experience that as an expression of love. I experience that as finally they quit disrespecting me. An expression of love would be something else, right? So if you think that you're pushing the vacuum around the living room is communicating to someone else in your house that you love them, you're mistaken. <laughs> what you're expressing finally is that you don't have a profound level of disrespect for them. Now, I don't mean that you aren't trying to express love because maybe you hate vacuuming. Maybe you hate taking the garbage out. Maybe, maybe to you it's kind of a big deal that you're doing that, right? So I'm not saying that you're not trying to express love. I'm saying it's not expressing love. Something else is required to have your partner experience love. Pushing the vacuum around or not leaving a dirty dish in the sink isn't going to cut it. And I'll shut up now. Thank you for your time.